inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like Good morning. Good morning. It is the 13th of April, 2023. That means that um, tax day is fast approaching. Yeah, I, I think you get um, you get some grace till Monday, but um, because the 15th falls on a weekend. But yeah, TikTok, it is, uh, it's time to get that done if you haven't done that already. So there you go. That's my, I don't know, that's my PSA for the morning. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Really encourage you to read this um, in the larger context of the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians. So I encourage you to go and read this entire chapter today of God's Word. Where in the Word are you today? We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 12. Here's verses 9 and 10. Each time God said, my grace is all you need, my power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. This is Paul speaking here and when he says each time, he's talking there about each time he asked God to remove this thorn of the flesh, this challenge, this persistent challenge that he was facing in his life. It's undefined. We don't know exactly what it was, but um, whatever it was, it was persistent and God never took it away. Instead, each time Paul asked, God responded by saying, my grace is all you need or my grace is sufficient for you. My power works best um, when, you know, when you're weak or in the midst of your weakness. So Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses, in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is one of the uh, more counter, or, yeah, more counterintuitive, less counter, more counterintuitive, less intuitive, <laughs> very countercultural way of thinking about things. When was the last time you, quote, boasted about a weakness? Um, I think it's important to note what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that we should sin and then boast about it, that we should be boasting about those thoughts and practices and proclivities that are sinful, that we engage in. Like, we're not, that's not what this is about. Paul has identified something in his life that he would prefer not to be living with as a persistent thorn in his flesh. Um, and he prayed about it. He took it before the Lord, but God didn't take it away. And so Paul said, all right, well, I must, I must have this for a purpose that glorifies God. And I don't understand what that is, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rejoice that God has left me with this challenge because God's then the one whose power is going to be demonstrated in my ability to live with it and live with it well and um, suffer in the same way that Christ suffered insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles and humilities and physical challenges, Paul's point is clear. Like our weaknesses are opportunities for God's glory to be revealed, opportunities for other people to see how God works in real time in the life of a real person dealing with real challenges. 
And so let me encourage you today, if you are feeling the reality of your mortal body, like I am, I'm limited, I'm fallible, I'm frail, I feel the reality of my mortal body, I genuinely ache at the evil and the challenges around and inside me, and I long to be more like Jesus. I long to be with Jesus. Suffering is real, and Paul is talking here about that reality. Elsewhere, Paul describes learning um, the secret of being content in all circumstances. This is a similar statement. He just, you know, we're reading it here from 2 Corinthians 12 versus reading it from um, the way he describes it in his letter to the Philippians, you know, about being content in all circumstances, whether in plenty or in want, joy or in sorrow, having more than enough or having less than enough. It doesn't matter because Christ is the secret. Paul is in Christ and with Christ And the reality of the presence of Christ makes it possible for Paul to endure the most difficult of circumstances. And it keeps him humble, keeps him humble when everything is going well. And so let's be walking in humility today. Let's be continuing to pray for Christians around the world who are praying that God would remove the thorniness um, in which they're living, the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the troubles they're enduring. Let's be praying for Christians around the world today who are genuinely suffering um, and let's be upholding one another and reminding ourselves that when when we're weak, the power of Christ is is revealed. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Ben Johnson's going to join us next. We're going to survey some of the headlines of the day and bring the mind of Christ to bear. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is my right, a right given by God. Ben Johnson is joining us now. You know him as the rights writer. He's a senior reporter and editor at the Washington Stand. Good morning, Ben. Hmm. Hello, hello. Radio silence. Hmm, 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 hmm. So, um, yeah, we don't know why we're not hearing Ben. He's there. He's there. So, let's see. I will, uh, this is always the fun part, right? So this is live radio. Now you know. It's not a podcast that's pre-recorded. It's live radio. One headline to provoke your prayers today. Let me pull this one up right here. It's in my little uh, go-to basket. Libya has arrested a U.S. citizen for alleged Christian proselytizing. This is according to the security services in um, North Africa. So an American... Um, working as a teacher at a private school in Tripoli, was arrested for, quote, inciting children to renounce Islam and convert to Christianity. Uh, The agency, uh, which is called the Internal Security Agency, did not provide the name of the American worker serving as a teacher there. But Libyan media has identified him as Jeff Wilson. Um, And so we want to be praying for Jeff Wilson today. Jeff Wilson... um, founder and head of a consulting firm Libby called Libya Business. So, you know, doing business as ministry um, in a place in the world where sharing Jesus, um, particularly if your hope is that someone would claim him as Savior and Lord and turn from, uh, in this case, Islam and convert to Christianity. If that's uh, your, your intent and you know that you're operating in a country where that is illegal, um, then you know that this is always a possibility. So let's be praying for Jeff Wilson today. My guess is Jeff Wilson has a family. And so let's be praying for them as well. And let's be praying.
praying for his um, swift release. All right, now we've got Ben Johnson uh, joining us today. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Carmen. All right, so um, talk with us about this piece that you have posted right now at the Washington Stand. Um, Christians must uh, must take children to transgender procedures or they can't adopt. What's going on in Oregon? Yeah, this is a, a very bizarre story and has gotten very little, uh, you know, very little coverage outside of a niche market, I guess you would say. There's a young lady named uh, Jessica Bates who is suing Oregon uh, right now, uh, basically for saying that uh, they have a, a policy saying that if you don't believe in uh, transgender procedures for minors, then you can't adopt a child. Uh, she wanted to adopt two siblings uh, who were in in care. Uh, they were under the age of nine, but they aren't young babies. They are, you know, they are uh, at least infants or, or young children. Uh, so you get the impression they're probably school age children at this point. Uh, she had several children of her own, and her her husband passed away. She wants to adopt these two siblings into her own family, and Oregon has uh, a program. Uh, for adoptive parents to go through. One of the things that that uh, program says is that anyone who uh, is not, who is unsupportive of people with diverse sexual orientation, gender identity, and expression uh, cannot adopt, essentially. Uh, so they, they sent her a questionnaire, and among the questions that they had her fill out, uh, they, they asked her if she would be willing to take someone to a transgender procedure you know, a cross cross hormone injection, uh, possibly eventually surgery, and she made it known uh, after she went through the training she would have a very hard time doing that. And her case manager told her she can't adopt; it's violating state policy. So she's in court right now, trying to say that uh, uh, this is a bar essentially on anyone who has traditional views, not just based on religion. Obviously, there are a lot of secular people who who also would not believe that uh, someone who is that young should be able to go through a, a procedure that has lifelong ramifications. 78% of Americans believe that uh, uh, minors should not have uh, uh, that um, decision thrust upon them until they're at least 18 years old. So uh, this is uh, obviously that's, that's more than just the number of Christians in America, unfortunately. So uh, it's not just faith-based, but it's also ideology-based. And that's playing out in court as we speak. Yeah, I, I want to just read a few of the things that are in the handout that this woman was received when she went to um, a, a state-required program as a process of um, the application process to adopt these these two children into her family. Um, on, on one of these handouts in the RAFT program, the Resource and Adoptive Family Program, um, you know, it comes right out and says that good parenting requires, quote, allowing a child to dress however they want, taking them to a pride parade, um, re- respecting a, a child's gender identity and expression is very important. Um, you always have to ask their pronouns because, quote, there are an infinite number of pronouns as new ones emerge in our language every day. I mean, this is anyway. Um, and then there's this prohibition. Um, parents should, quote, avoid Forcing youth to attend activities, including religious activities, that are, quote, unsupportive of people with diverse sexual orientation, gender identity and expression um, and must instead, quote, provide access to a variety of books, movies and materials, including those that positively represent same gender relationships. I mean, they're they are literally getting down into um, what what books and movies you're going to be watching in your home 
and whether or not you can take a child to to church with you or to synagogue or to the mosque. This is not just going to affect um, Christians who want to adopt children in Oregon. This is going to affect anybody with a, a religious expression that does not affirm um, LGBTQIAA plus expressions. Yes. Uh, it, essentially, as, as you say, they're saying that you cannot uh, teach Christianity or Judaism or traditional Islam or uh, a lot of other uh, religions that, uh, that would teach this or even have secular points of view uh, that say that uh, it would be unwise for someone who's 18 years old and, and can't consent to a whole variety of other things to be able to consent to a, a life-altering procedure like this. Uh, essentially, they're saying you have to teach LGBTQ uh, ideology, identity. Uh, as you say, you have to have affirming books, and they even specifically talk about uh, uh, having an LGBTQ flag or taking someone to a pride event uh, as as a minor. So, and as you know, uh, what goes on in that is not. Uh, I, I wouldn't be comfortable as an adult, but certainly not taking a child to uh, something like that. So, basically, they are saying if you want to adopt, you have to indoctrinate children in their point of view, or you can't take a child out of a foster home, uh, they would rather have someone. Uh, for years, the argument was, uh, you know, Christians would rather have a child in an orphanage uh, alone without a loving family than to place them with uh, a gay couple. And essentially, it is exactly the reverse now that uh, the, the other side would rather have a child stay in an orphanage than place them with a Christian, a Jew, uh, someone who believes uh, in the religion, uh, traditional religion or traditional biological reality and the understanding that a minor should not have to make a lifelong decision until that child is at least 18. So it's it's a state-enforced ideology that excludes Christians, and it should be concerning to everyone who holds Christian point of view. It's, it's, it's very discouraging. Um, hey, if you're looking for resources that are positive on this same topic, let me direct you to Together for Good, tfgood.org, making a real effort to um, create pathways for the church to come alongside vulnerable families in Christ-centered ministry. So that's Together for Good, tfgood.org. Ben and I are going to um, continue surveying headlines here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, Ben Johnson, and I will be right back. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. All right, we're going to see how many of these headlines we can do with Ben before we run out of time today. Ben, can a public school teacher have John 316 in her work email signature line? Depends on who you ask. If you ask the Supreme Court, the answer would be yes. Uh, if you ask the school district, the answer sometimes may be no. The um, the school district in question here is the Loudoun County, Virginia school district, of course, has been in the news uh, over some terrible things that have happened uh, there. And, of course, the 
a transgender restroom issue and uh, a, a parent who made his views known. Uh, and and eventually that turned into a media circus. But he was uh, he was ultimately uh, able to prevail on behalf of his daughter, who, who suffered some terrible abuse uh, in that school system. The same school system now is saying that there's a teacher who for years has used John 316 as her email signature uh, from her official work account. They're saying that you can use other kinds of signatures in your email. If you want to say, you know, go Packers or, or something like that, that's fine. But John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, is off bounds because it conveys an official religious message. And uh, they say it would be the state endorsement of a religion because she's a state employee. But it I could totally, I could totally make <laughs> the argument, by the way, that Go Packers is an explicit religious statement. <laughs> I would endorse that. But anyway, go ahead. There's certainly more zealousness uh, on behalf of that. Uh, yeah, uh, than many. But yes, the, uh, the, uh, they, they were saying that uh, this is a state endorsement of religion. However, uh, the Coach Kennedy case last year said that a coach, a state employee, can have and express his own religious views. There's also a certain left the Boston where the, uh, the city was flying a, Christ, fly, flying a Christian flag and um, they were they have, were refused uh, they refused to uh, fly it for these reasons, and the Supreme Court agreed that it would not be the state endorsement uh, of of a uh, an expression. If they're flying other messages, then this is just equal opportunity. Now, if you connect the dots here, uh, uh, we'll we'll uh, look forward maybe to a couple other headlines, and we'll connect the dots. Forgive me, I'm getting ahead of myself. No, no, you're so good. Let's uh, let's do a quick update on Arizona Christian University and what's going on with the Washington School District. Yeah, um, this is the Phoenix School District. Uh, Phoenix is, the, of course, the largest school district uh, and largest city in uh, the state of Arizona. And I know we've talked about that and you've talked about it, that uh, they cut the contract to allow student teachers to teach in uh, the elementary if those teachers went to Arizona Christian University. Uh, simply a complete blanket, uh, blanket ban on everyone who went there because uh, Arizona Christian uh, teaches traditional Christianity. They hold to the biblical morality that everyone who is a Christian uh, must uphold. And uh, because of that, one of the uh, members of the school board said that uh, she would not feel, quote-unquote, safe uh, if there was a teacher who didn't affirm uh, her uh, SOGI identity, uh, identifying either with a, a, a certain sexual orientation or identifying with a certain gender. Uh, and, and the teacher, since uh, the teacher holds traditional Christian views, might not affirm that, and that for, therefore they would not make them safe. Um, we would ask a couple of questions. First of all, since when is it a teacher's job to get involved in a child's sexuality at all? Uh, and second of all, Again, if we connect the dots here, unless you affirm SOGI, uh, extreme gender ideology, and and uh, uh, you know views of sexuality that violate biblical morality, then you can't adopt a child. Unless you have extreme gender ideology, uh, and uh, you affirm sexuality that violates biblical ideas, then you can't be a student teacher. Essentially, what you're seeing here is a complete bar on the participation of Christians in American social life in certain areas. Uh, anywhere where this extreme ideology prevails, there is a clear conflict with Christianity. And that conflict is not uh, 
something that we have chosen. It's not something that we have been aggressive about. It's not something that uh, we are trying to be harmful about. It is something in which two worldviews are in conflict and they are fighting for space. Uh, And one is an absolute worldview that says, unless you affirm and believe this, we will cut you out of all polite society and even the ability to provide for yourself either as a teacher or a photographer, a cake maker, uh, again, over and over, whatever the, uh, as a coach, whatever that may be, we will exclude you from it unless you affirm our essentially religious view of the world that if someone says that they change their uh, their uh, sexuality or if someone says they change their gender, then you have to believe and affirm them. Uh, and if you believe and affirm Jesus Christ, and his teachings that say that that's not possible. Uh, Jesus said it's not possible to add a cubit to our stature by thinking about it, so we certainly can't change any other part of our uh, of our makeup that he has created. Uh, if you affirm that, then you cannot have a job or you can't adopt a child. It's a complete and utter exclusion of those who believe Jesus Christ and his message. Okay, and then we, we, we just have a minute to cover this headline, but I want you to share it with people because I've been noting um, recently that instead of actually having conversations or answering questions, there are people at protests um, just loudly blowing a whistle and like you know, they get a whistle in their mouth and they're blowing it really loudly to drown out everybody else. Apparently, you can't honk your horn if people are standing somewhere and they are protesting. Apparently, 14 honks of your horn goes beyond what is protected as free speech. What's going on here? Yeah, this is in California. There was a a rotating protest outside the offices of uh, Daryl Issa. A woman named Susan Porter was uh, driving past and honked her horn, as you say, 14 times. And first of all, who's counting that? Like what? What? Like like who's standing there? Like one honk, two honks, three honks. Like what? what? (laughs) I, I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. I think I'd lose track, too, but uh, she ended up getting a citation. I guess maybe the officer was counted, and uh, he he, uh, he gave her a citation. She refused to appear in court and instead sued, saying this was First Amendment-protected speech. She was expressing her displeasure uh, or her support. It's, it's not clear from the, the court case, but she said her horn was expressive. Her horn was speech. And the court said, you know, it's possible that you could honk a horn in such a way that it would express something, but... Uh, it's also possible that when you're honking 14 times, you're creating a noise hazard and possibly a traffic hazard, and you're being a dangerous driver. Uh, so I, I think uh, where, where you are uh, coming from is that if you're going to express something, it has to be something that clearly conveys a message, which is something other courts have said in the past. Uh, it's not simply – it's not just that anything you say is, in fact, expressive. People have to be able to understand what you're saying as well. So uh, a horn is extraordinarily ambiguous, potentially unsafe, and that's where the judges come down on this. Air horn, whistle, the list is going to be long. All right, uh, Ben, thank you so much, as always, um, for engaging with us in the conversations of the day and for not counting the number of times I said um during our conversation. If you promise not to count the number of times I said essentially this morning. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Ben Ben Johnson, essentially the rights writer, also a senior reporter and editor at The Washington Stand. You can find what he's working on at WashingtonStand.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. I will trust
Malia and Scott um, fell in love and got married and conceived a baby. And then along the way, they received news about what was going on with the development of their son um, that rocked their world. So how do you how do you respond when there's a particular challenge in life? When you find yourself at a crossroads, whether or not you're going to head down a path of fear or whether or not you're going to walk by faith. We're going to talk with Malia Stevens uh, next, and this is a conversation about what it looks like to be ridiculously hopeful, to actually approach the challenges that we face in life with genuine hope and genuine faith. And how you do that day in and day out. Malia Stevens joins us next. Malia Stevens is joining us now. She comes to us as the author of Ridiculously Hopeful, but she's also, um, you know, like a math smarty pants and does financial planning. Um, and is involved in all kinds of community service as well in the community where she lives. Malia, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, thank you. So glad yeah, to be here. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so um, first of all, we want to share with folks that Ridiculously Hopeful, they can find online, RidiculouslyHopeful.com. Um, and the book was set to uh, be on the street by now, but it's a couple of weeks delayed. So if you guys go and look for it, you're going to pre-order it. Um, and it's definitely one that you're going to want to have and read after you hear part of Malia's story today. So um, let's do this. Tell us a little bit about yourself, because um, helping us understand your story and who you are sort of gets us into this conversation about the news that you and your husband um, received during your pregnancy. Sure. So um, I am actually from Birmingham, Alabama. And I moved to Nashville a little over 10 years ago. So I feel like now I can say I'm a Nashvillean and I'm from Nashville um, with the population that keeps moving here. Um, But I met this woman uh, upon like my first, I don't know, few weeks in Nashville. And she essentially became a spiritual mother to me and a mentor. Kind of through her teaching, um, I would say my relationship with Christ was really transformed my heart and my mind was was changed i was introduced to jesus in a way i'd never heard about him before and i think because of that i was able to my husband and i both were able to walk through essentially the diagnosis um, that we received on our son in a different way than i would have had i not sat under her leadership and her mentorship so one of the things that i I love about your story is that it does include the influence of other people. And uh, and I want, you know, if you're listening right now and you're wondering, do I actually have any influence, um, you know, people in the next generation? Does it matter if I welcome people to my town? Does it matter if I mentor young women? Yes, it does. Absolutely. And that's a part of Malia's testimony today. So in 2019, um, you're pregnant. I imagine you're happy about yeah. that and you're looking forward to the birth of your child. And along yeah. the way, um, you and your husband learned something about the boy we now call Towns. Yes, that's correct. We, um, you know, early on, it was just like any other pregnancy. Of course, we're excited. We're 
nervous, you know, you're all those things because it's your first, first child. And um, we show up at our 20 week ultrasound, which is the full body scan where they're essentially looking at the development and the health and of, of the baby. Um, and I would say what's so like the Lord just kind of, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but he was totally holding us um, even before we showed up at that appointment, because my husband had decided to lead a small group at our church and he was writing the curriculum and it was called four weeks to peace. And that last mm. week, which was going to happen to be the next day. So the day after our appointment, he was reading um, and he read this verse in first Samuel and it was about Saul was about to get anointed King. And essentially they told Saul to essentially wait on the Lord because the servant had gone ahead. And so we're sitting in this room waiting on our doctor to come in. And he says, he's so excited about this revelation he's had and that the servant in this picture is Jesus. And so that we can always hold peace in an uncertain future. Cause we can trust that Jesus has gone ahead of us to essentially prepare the way. And so he finishes telling me this revelation. The doctor walks in, I can see her face. So I know something is not probably right. Um, my husband's never met her before. She tells us that our son has a congenital heart defect. Um, I've since learned that actually one in a hundred babies will be born with a congenital heart defect, but that there's just a few that are really severe. So he was going to be born with the, what they call hypoplastic left heart syndrome, which essentially means his left ventricle did not develop. So he doesn't have a full heart. And my husband got up and he said, well, I guess we're going to learn to hold our peace in an uncertain future. Mm. So I just want people um, to sit with that. I just want, I want people to just sit with you in that for just a moment. Because that's the moment um, everybody dreads, everybody fears. And at some level, everybody expects at some point in their life, maybe a not, not about a baby, but about themselves, their own health, the health of the person sitting next to them who they love best in the world, um, a diagnosis, you know, for their mom or their dad, their sister, their brother, their best friend. And in that moment, like there's a choice and and you're prepared to make the choice because you're already in an active real, vibrant, genuine relationship with the living God. Like nobody says what your husband said and nobody responds like you responded unless they're already on this path of of faith and able to walk in the confidence of who God is no matter what um, and live into like the vows that you took to one another as husband and wife and the acknowledgement that this child is a blessing from the Lord even even if, even if, even when, um, in the midst of, um, can you just talk with us about how essential your relationship with Jesus is, like, as a person? You're a person, and you relate to him as a person. Sure. Um, you know, I think in that moment, it was kind of like everything stood still. Um, mm-hmm. I'm generally very calm and consistent, uh, just like that's my personality. And so I think the reality of what had been spoken, um, you know, it took a few days to, to settle in. And, and not only that, at that point, the doctor had referred us obviously to a specialist cause she's like, this is outside my, my realm. And so, um, there were so many unknowns. Um, and 
and obviously we were sad and um, concerned and, you know, didn't know what was next. But, you know, my husband and I decided we just made a few choices. And some of those choices were that um, we were going to limit, well, we were going to control our environment in the sense that we only wanted a community around us that we knew would support us, pray for us. When we couldn't, they would, you know, like they would feel, they would stand in the gaps and that they would always, no matter what, point us back to Christ because it's, it's in that, that our eyes can always, you know, I go back to that song by Lauren Daigle and she says, look up child. And Mm. so I feel like our community did that so well for us. Um, They could see the days that we were hurting. They could see the days that, you know, maybe we had doubts because those were human and those creep in and they would always, always, always remind us like, don't forget who Jesus is to you. Um, This is what he's done for you. Um, And like the Bible is treated, you know, it was true yesterday. It's true today and it's true tomorrow. Um, And God is the same God. And so we really held on to this belief that no matter what, our God is good. When I first sat under Gina's teaching, that's my mentor. She, um, she said like, you need to think like a child. Remember the innocence you had as a child. And I would go back to that blessing (laughs) that you would sing like, God is good. God is great. Um, Mm -hmm. before you would eat. And I was like, that's so simple. And why do we forget, you know? And so we kind of held that, that mindset throughout. Um, and then we really, the things that we could control were, what did we listen to? (laughs) Well, we only listened to sermons and worship music. (laughs) You know, we kind of cut out the secular world. Um, Mm -hmm. and that was especially important, uh, whenever we would go to the doctor, because I went to the doctor more in that, you know, five month period of time than I'd probably been in my entire life. Um, all different kinds of specialists, all different doctors. And every time, you know, they're giving you all the science behind it. And so we would have to leave and essentially every time make a conscious choice to either choose the science or choose faith. Um, Mm. and I kind of like look at it like a scale, um, where like on one side was science and one side was faith. And every time we left the doctor, science weighed more, you know, so then Mm. I had to go gather these stones, my cornerstones and put them back into my scale so that my faith, um, bucket grew. That's so good. Um, Malia, when we, um, come back from a very brief break, I want you to, um, tell people about towns, um, and yeah. what his life, what his life is like today. So we're talking with Malia Stevens. We're talking about her book, Ridiculously Hopeful. You can connect with her directly online at ridiculouslyhopeful.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Child. Hey. 
We're talking with Malia Stevens, her book and her website, Ridiculously Hopeful. You can connect with her at RidiculouslyHopeful.com. Um, Malia, it started out as a as a blog, probably a little bit of a ministry under yourself and, and others um, who you wanted to keep informed. It's grown into a book. It's a beautiful witness and testimony. Um, and it brings us, you know, forward in uh, it, through your experience, the, the experience that you and Scott walked together, anticipating the arrival of towns. And um, and then and then he and then he arrives and then now life is utterly transformed. Can you walk with us from um, maybe that point where he's born until where we are today? Of course. Um, So going into town's birth, we were told there was two courses of action, essentially, um, that we would have to either undergo. One would be um, rounds of surgeries to essentially try to widen this ventricle so that it could function. Um, it happened over, you know, several years and, um, even then he still wouldn't have like a fully functioning heart or if he was born and the case was, his case was very severe, they would have to list him, um, on the transplant list, um, as a one a, which is, you know, the most, most severe listing, um, as his best chance of survival. And unfortunately transplant was kind of mentioned to us about three weeks before he was born. And um, because they thought they kind of noticed another issue in his, in his heart, um, but they wouldn't know for sure until he was born. So Towns is born and um, he was taken away. I didn't get to see him. I, nobody told me he was okay. Um, and my husband went with him. He had a surgery that day where they kind of went in and put in a balloon. Um, and then the next day, the transplant team met with us and, and informed us that yes, his best chance of survival was to be listed on the transplant list. Um, So from that point on, we knew we were gonna have a very extended hospital stay because um, you have to wait on essentially a match. Um, And so we kind of buckled down and the blog was was really born. (laughs) It's funny now to think about because I really pushed back on it. I did not wanna do it. some of my closest friends were like, Hey, it's just the best way to update people so that you don't get inundated with Mm -hmm. text messages. And, and they were so right. They had the foresight that in the moment I just didn't. Um, and so I eventually said, okay. And what the blog really became is yes, a way for me to communicate, um, to our community, what was going on, but it really became cathartic for me it became a way for me to really process um, not just what was happening, but the ways in which we were seeing the Lord show up because there Mm -hmm. were small ways that we would experience him every day. to obviously really, really large things um, that happened. And so it kind of became this like record um, for me mostly. And then through that, the process, a lot of people were like, Hey, you know, you should, write a book or you should put all this into a book. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, again, kind of pushing back. And then, you know, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, uh, yeah, we're going to put this into a book. <laughs> yeah. Cause and it's, so easy, it's just... more easily accessible, right? It, it makes the, right. it makes the testimony accessible and it's powerful. I mean, you know, this in your own life experience, Malia, it's, it's powerful 
um, for us to hear one another's testimonies. And this is a way that God provides um, for his own glory and for the building up of the faith of others. And so you get to do for others what Gina did for you, even in the lives of people who you will never meet one-on-one, but you will speak to them from a place of faith and from the experience of a journey of faith that others are walking, maybe not with the exact same diagnosis, but with particular challenges that come along life's journey. Um, And so, you know, let me just be one of those people that's just going to say, thank you for being faithful to write it down and not, you know, putting that light under a basket, but, you know, allowing the world to see it. Love for you to talk about um, your experience um, going forward in terms of the treatment that Towns received, because there's a testimony in there as well. So, um, yeah, his care, um, I mean, I, I can't say enough about the teams upon teams of doctors that serve children. Um, you know, I think sometimes medical, uh, personnel, you know, can be called more like harsh and cold, but these, these men and women who essentially devote their lives to these kids are simply just amazing. And we watched all of these doctors work in unity um, to essentially come up with the best plan of action. And as a parent, and especially a first-time parent, <laughs> I couldn't have really asked the Lord to have given us anything else. Um, and then he, he gets his match, he gets his transplant. And um, part of our story in the hospital is that we had read a book called um, Circle Maker years ago, and we decided that we were going to pick a day on the calendar that we were going to pray to be home by, which it's just super bold on our part. Um, and we both prayed about it separately, came back and decided that day was going to be Easter. Um, mm. which at the time I did not want to pick cause it felt so far away, you know, like this mm. is February and I'm picking a day in April. Um, and I, and so we, we did that and every day we would have a little heart drawn in our room and, and a countdown and, um, he got his match at the, at the end of March and uh, my husband, at that point it was COVID. So only one of us was allowed in the hospital at a time. We couldn't be there together. And so my husband was here, was there that day to receive the news that Towns in fact had a match. And um, the last thing that he looked at the doctor and said, is it possible? And the doctor said, it's possible um, because once they receive their, their match and they undergo open heart surgery, you don't just get to go home, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. a day or two later, there's, there's um, care on the, on the oversight of that. Um, Towns has to learn, you know, can he still take from a bottle? Is he going to need a feeding tube? Is he gaining weight? Like, you know, those same questions are still involved. Um, and we did actually get released the Thursday before Easter. That's amazing. And so, um, yeah, I just think a lot, especially since we just celebrated Easter and, um, and in Nashville, things have been, pretty bleak and just the miracle of redemption and restoration and promise that Easter represents. It's such a a special holiday as a a Christian, the most important one um, to kind of celebrate our savior. Yeah. And so then after that, we, um, you know, even when you get home, we had to go to the doctor once a week um, because once a child receives a transplant um, or any anyone receives a transplant, there's always a chance that your body will decide, Hey, this isn't my organ. Um, and they can go into rejection. The first year is one of the most, um, I guess 
times that the body will do that. Now, they have told us we've learned that the younger you are when you receive a transplant, then the probability of that happening goes down just because your body hasn't had time to learn even its own organs. Right. Um, yeah. So so we would go to the doctor about once a week. And um, every time you go, you have to get an echo and labs and um, they do an EKG. And, you know, it's kind of a full, full workup. Um, but now he has done amazing. He's, he has to have heart biopsies every now and again. And um, that's just where they're going to test his heart to ensure that, you know, they haven't missed something on the echo. Um, I'm grateful for Vanderbilt Children's Hospital because they don't do them every year like some children's hospitals do because um, it is invasive. You know, he has to go under. It's a procedure. Um, but he so he's had two of those and his heart has looked great. He is now three and thriving. That's what I say. Um, he's a sweet, sweet little boy. If I, you know, I say this in the book, if I had to pick two words to describe him, it's the same two words I would have picked at 12 months as I would pick today. He's really tough, but he's tender. Um, he's got a very sweet, sweet soul to him. Um, he gives the absolute best hugs. And I know I'm biased, but even his teachers tell me that. So, um, <laughs> he loves his dogs. He loves to be outside. He loves to run and play and throw balls. He's all boy. He loves trucks. Trucks are his favorite pastime. Um, well, Malia, um, thank you. Um, thank you for walking the walk. Um, and thank you for then sharing with us. So it's one thing to walk the walk. It's another thing to find the words and share it with others and let us walk with you um, as you talk about it. So thank you for the shared journey. Blessings on you and your family. Um, blessings on towns and whatever future God has, not only for um, for him, but for your family as well. Thank you for being ridiculously hopeful and for sharing ridiculously hopeful with all of us. Of course. Thank you for having me, Carmen. I'm humbled to be here. Well, we look forward to talking with you again as he grows. And maybe God grows All your right. family even further. Yeah. All right. You're, <laughs> yes. you're listening Thank to you. Mornings with Carmen. We've got uh, another hour up next. Um, and we're going to continue to bring the mind of Christ to bear, not only on the headline news of the day, but encourage one another in the faith. We're going to talk about um, Second Chance Month, which we are in the midst of right now. And we'll also talk with Matt Markins about raising our kids. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.